Turn your Bible, please, to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua, the fourth chapter. I believe it will be a blessing to our hearts. Thank you. Joshua chapter 4. <clears throat> this is the last day of May 2009. In many years, this is called Memorial Day weekend because this month ends on Sunday. Last Monday was Memorial Day. But in some places, this is called Decoration Day where people go to the cemeteries and decorate their, their burial places with beautiful flowers and, and memories. And this morning I want to speak on the subject, what mean these stones? In Joshua chapter 4, listen carefully to this scripture. It came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man. Command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of children of Israel. This may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then you shall answer them, The waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. The children of Israel did as Joshua commanded, and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan as the Lord spoke unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, carried them over with them unto the place where they were lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there under this dray. Please. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. He spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask your fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? And you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord that it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. What mean these stones? That was some question mark. We think of the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel. They had left the promised land after crossing the Red Sea on dry land, wandered aimlessly in the wilderness for 40 years because they had refused to go at Kadesh Barnea and conquer the land that God had promised them. They were afraid. Fear is a terrible, icy finger 
that wraps itself around our throats and our hearts and causes us inaction. Children of Israel were afraid. Well, God had already done a miracle. He had let them out of Israel, out of Egypt. He led them across the, dry, the, the, the dead Red Sea on dry land. He took care of them in the wilderness with manna. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. They were still afraid. How much like we are, they are. How many times do we fear today over things that in many instances will never happen at all, but we're just afraid. We think of the death of Moses. It was a terrible cataclysmic event to the people of Israel. He had lived a long life. He had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness, 40 years. And then God said, Moses, I'm taking you home. He was buried on the hills of Moab. He was allowed to see from a distance the promised land, but he could not go over. Many, many years later, we find Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, probably in the land of promise. Well, they crossed the Jordan River on dry land. They came at a flooded time. If you'd go to Israel today, you'd find the Jordan River floods its banks from time to time. And when it's flooded, the water is up so high you can't get over. But God did a miracle. He said to, the, to Joshua, you have the priests go down. When they first go in the water, the water's gonna to begin to subside. Tell them to go clear down until they're on dry land at the bottom of the, of the, 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 uh, Jordan, the uh, Jordan River. They did that. They stood there until all the people had, all the people had passed by. And then God said, Joshua, you tell them to pick up 12 stones out of the depths of the Jordan River and pile them up down there. He did that. Then he said, take 12 more stones, put them on your shoulder and take them out of the Jordan River. We're gonna set them up on the other side as a memorial. And when your people shall ask in generations to come, what mean these stones? You're to say, this is a reminder of what God did. Well, sometimes we go to the cemetery. I do that often. I went through the cemetery yesterday, saw some of the monuments. On one monument, absent from the body, present with the Lord. On another memorial, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Arthur Treadway was our first training union director here. On his memorial over at Fairview Cemetery, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Another man had this placed on his memorial over at Fairview. My dear friend, as you pass by as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you shall be. Take up the cross and follow me. On another stone, as for God, his way is perfect. Still another, weep not for me, for I am with my Lord. We think of these words, we think of the stones, we think of words like reflection, remembrance, history, biography, 
brevity of life, eternal somewhere. Joshua 4 is all about memorials. There are many memorials in the Bible. I think of Joseph's coffin in Egypt. The book of Genesis closes with Joseph buried in a coffin in Egypt, and for 400 years, that coffin in Egypt remained a hope. He had given word when God visits Israel and leads them out of this land, and he'll do that, won't you take my bones with you? 400 years went by. Every once in a while, they'd go by and look at that sarcophagus, just like we go to a cemetery and look at a memorial stone. 400 years went by. God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they got Moses' coffin and carried it across the Red Sea and buried it over in Canaan. It remained as a memorial of hope. I think of the memorials in Washington. Our seniors have recently been there. They saw the Lincoln Memorial, the Jefferson Memorial, the World War II Memorial, the Franklin Delano Roosevelt Memorial, the Washington Memorial, the Vietnam Memorial. They saw all of those beautiful memorials and each one has a story. Let me see. Brian, you go and sit with these guys over here, will you? No, between these first two. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, fellas. I have something to say to you, so you listen. You're sitting there giggling and laughing. God bless you. I love you. We're glad you're here, but you listen. All right. Think I'm mean, don't you? Say yes, will you? <laughs> All right, these memorials were really something beautiful and precious and important, just as memorials are to us. I passed through a cemetery in Lansing, Michigan one time years ago, and on the memorial was a remarkable statement. I've used it many times at funerals. The virtues of a man we write on marble, their failures we write on sand, and they all disappear. After people are gone, we don't really remember all of their failures. We remember their virtues. Some people live such indelibly dark lives that we do remember their failures. But how wonderful that most of the time when death comes, we reflect upon the good things we remember. And we need to remember that while we're living and while we're dealing with our children and our parents our loved ones. Everybody makes a mistake. Is there anyone in this room who has never made a mistake? Lift your hand. All of us make mistakes. You've never made a mistake. Brian, you can tell him what he is later on. <laughs> Everybody has made a mistake. Now what happens to those mistakes? You can confess them, ask God to forgive you. If you've hurt somebody, ask that person to hurt to, to forgive you, and then go on. Or you can curl up on a knot and die. You say, well, I can't ever do anything anymore. I've failed. I'm miserable. I'm going to just quit. You can do that. What do you accomplish for the Lord? The wisest thing is to say, Lord, I failed you, and I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. I've asked the people I've hurt to forgive me. I'm gonna go on because 
The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that's what we need to be about our children. Our children make mistakes. How many of you grew up in a family where your brother or sister never, never made a mistake? I don't see any hands. Most of you can say, well, I remember my brother's mistakes, my sister's mistakes. You remember those. What do you do? Hold it against the rest of their lives? Or do you give it to the Lord? Just Lord take care of it. You can take care of it yourself by a fist fight or by mean, or you can give it to the Lord. So what do you do about mistakes? You give them to the Lord. And parents, what do you do about your children's mistakes? You give them to the Lord. So you see, these memorials are reminders of both mistakes and victories. This afternoon, if you have time, go by the cemetery. Look at some memorials. Try to visualize someone you knew. Most of the time, you will not remember the ugly things they did. You remember some of the good things. But lying under that grave is a human body that made some mistakes. What do you do about it? Hold it against them the rest of their lives or you just give it to the Lord and the Lord take care of it? That's what we need to do in life. Take it to the Lord and leave it there. Same way in life in general. When someone hurts us, what do we do? Oh, I'm going to hold that against them the rest of their lives. I'll never forget that. I'll go to my grave remembering it. You can do that. Or you can give it to the Lord. And let the Lord Jesus take care of it. Remember what Jesus did at the cross? They had mimicked him, made fun of him, said all manner of evil against him. They gambled for his garments. They caused him great shame and great hurt and great pain. And the Lord, giving us an example, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So should be the believer's attitude toward those that hurt us. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. I visited the Ham International Cemetery years ago in Luxembourg. General Patton was the great army general during the Battle of the Bulge. We almost lost the battle. It was a stormy, stormy time. Rain and all kinds of winds. General Patton, who was not known as a praying man, is said to have called some of his chaplains together and asked them to pray that God would clear the skies, that they might win the battle. The chaplains sent a little petition out to all the troops. They had a special time of prayer. The next day, the skies were clear. The rain was gone, and General Patton and his troops moved across the Battle of the Bulge and won that German battle. My cousin, Buddy Rogers, was killed in that battle. I stood by his grave with gratitude and thanksgiving. And I remember some of the ugly things they'd said about General Patton. Most of the people today don't remember those things. Remember he was a brave general. He did a good, commendable job in helping us win World War II. 
when I was young, our dad used to take us to Newcastle Cemetery. I've been there hundreds and hundreds of times. He'd point to different graves and he'd tell us all kinds of stories about the different people. There's one grave named Edith Furee. That grave of stone is still there. He would tell about her teaching his Sunday school class when he was a little boy. How she made them memorize hymns. And my dad in his older years could sing almost every hymn by heart. He never went to church, but he knew the hymns. He knew some scripture because it had been embedded in his mind by Edith Furee. He told other stories of people those stones reminded him of. Longfellow wrote, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing. Leave behind us footprints in the sands of time. Footprints that perhaps another sailing o'er life's solemn main, a forlorn and shipwrecked brother seeing may take heart again. Very briefly, I want to sum up just three thoughts about these memorials. Number one, they remind us of the enemy. Who is the enemy? The chief enemy of every one of us is the devil. Satan is a crafty animal. In Job chapter one, he's subtle. He slips. God knows all about it, but Job doesn't. We read, who read the book of Job know all about what's happening, but Job doesn't know, and, and Satan is allowed to attack him his family is killed, his farms are taken, everything he has is gone, and his wife says, curse God and die. And in all these things, Job accused God falsely. What an example. When things have been taken away from you that you loved, that were very important to you, what'd you do about them? You can become garrulous and upset and mean and get even the rest of your life, or you can say it's just things. I know a mother whose son sort of went out of his mind in his later years. He ransacked her home, took everything she had, sold it, destroyed the home. And when she was told about it, she said, that's okay, those are just things. Pray for my son. Things are not that important. They'll be here for a little while and then they're gone. The enemy deceives us. He's subtle. He tries his best to defeat us. What will you do with him? Let those stones out in the cemetery be a reminder to you that the enemy would like to destroy you. The last enemy we have is death. And in some instances, those stones remind us of death. But for a believer, that stone is a reminder there's way more beyond death. There's life eternal and life everlasting. How wonderful to know the Lord. And then those stones remind us of the example. When I look at those stones, I think of Jesus. You know, fittingly enough, did you know there's no memorial to Jesus? One reason we don't have statues of Jesus and of Mary and Joseph around the church and go and kneel in front of them is because they're not here. Those stones would be images or idols. There's no stone erected to Jesus because he's very much alive. 
And the stones remind us that the Savior we have doesn't need a stone. He lives in our heart. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I feel his voice of cheer. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, I know he's near. Jesus lives in our hearts. Is he living in your heart today? Do you have him locked in your heart so that you know whom you have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which you've committed to him against that day? We're going to die. Many of you in this room will have a memorial stone placed there, some great big stone, some little stone. Jefferson Davis and D.L. Moody were born the same century when Jefferson Davis died. And I respect him. He was a Christian. He invested his life in the wrong cause, perhaps, a cause he thought he believed in. The Confederacy went down in defeat. They built a great big stone monument down here at Fairview. For a long time, it was the biggest monument in America until the Washington Monument in Washington was finished. When you drive down from Elkton to Hopkinsville, pretty soon you'll see that great big stone up there. And you'll say, that's Jefferson Davis's monument. You'll not but you can drive through Massachusetts, out to Northfield, out to Round Top, and you can look and look and look, and you can be told, D.L. Moody's buried here somewhere. When I was there, I looked and looked for his grave and finally asked two or three people. Finally, they said, well, it's up on a Round Top. I went up on that Round Top, a little tiny stone. D.L. Moody, 1837, 1899, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He didn't need a big stone. He's remembered in the lives and minds of those whom he influenced. Or when you're gone. When people go out to the cemetery and look at your stone, what will they remember you about? Will they remember you held grudges? That you were mean, you were honorary, you were ugly, you had a fit temper all the time? Or will they remember you had a big forgiving heart? And you loved people. What a blessed that is. The example, the stone reminds us of Jesus. The greatest example the world has ever known because he's our redeemer. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. He never sinned one time, never lifted up his soul in vanity, his hands were never soiled with deceit. And Jesus said, come. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. I'll, I'll learn. You can learn of me. I'm meek and lowly. You'll find rest to your soul. Come. And today, if you'll come with your burden and your heartache and your hurts and your sins and your sorrows and your questions and your doubts, just come. He'll not cast you out. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Just come. Last of all, this reminds us of the endless unfinished task we have. The endless unfinished task. 
From time to time, I go to Newcastle. That's sort of the heritage background of our family. My grandfather, my great-grandfather, built a great big stone. And whenever I see it, his name W.O. Bruce is on it. And whenever I see it, I think, I need to know more about the genealogy of our family. I have a cousin in, in, uh, Florida, in Texas recently wrote me and said he's coming up here in August. He wants to meet me and tell me more about the family. His name is Charles Bruce Oldham. He has the Bruce name and the Oldham name in it. Both of them are family names. He said, I want to tell you some of the things that you don't know about the power of those two families. I don't want to brag on that right now, but I want to tell you, the stone reminds us of the unfinished task of seeking to finish what we began. Everyone in this room has a goal to live up to. We don't have very long to do it. You may have 10 years, you may have 20 years, you may have 50 years, you may have 80 years. You don't have very long to do it. Let's do what we're gonna to do today. We're gonna to have tomorrow. Everyone here has a task. Jesus gave us an assignment. Go ye into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus told us to do that. What are we doing with that commission? The reason we have a bus ministry is to go. The reason we have soul winning teams is to go. The reason we have the summer mission program is to go. The reason we have a school, the reason we have a school is to go. God laid that on our hearts many years ago. And for over 35 years, God has used that school to turn out men and women who are out serving the Lord all over the world. Thank you, Glendale Baptist Church, for your investment, a rich investment an investment that will pay off dividends when we get home to glory. But the task is unfinished. Let's go after the lost. Let's go bring them in from the fields of sin. Let's find somebody somewhere today who needs Jesus. And this week, let's bring them back next Sunday and encourage them to come and confess Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. The unfinished task. Let's do it. Mercy there was great. Grace was free. Pardon there multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for those stones at the Jordan River and at Gilgal that were to remind the people of Israel all the rest of the years of how good God has been. And those stones out of the cemetery remind us who the enemy is who would keep us from fulfilling the work who the example is, the Lord Jesus himself, who leads us on and on to victory. And something about the unfinished task, the ever-living ministry of evangelism, help us to never hang it up, but to go on and on and on. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Four sixty-eight. without him I could do nothing. This is God's invitation. 
If you're here tonight, today, and you've never been saved, never given your heart to Jesus, I want to plead with you to come to him today, just like you are. Just come. He will not cast you out. Come with your sin, your sorrow, your doubts, your questions, and come. And friend, if you're already a Christian, are you living where God answers prayer? Are you really letting the stones remind you of the task you yet have before your task here is finished? One day we'll have to lay it down. It may be this week somebody have to lay the task down. This past week we had two funerals. Last week, two other funerals. Every week it's somebody. We don't know how long we have. Let's work for the night is coming when men can work no more. We're going to sing this hymn. The hymn is invitation. Will you come and confess Christ as your Savior? Come and kneel at the altar and pray, renewing your love covenant, or asking a prayer request, whatever God has laid on your heart. Let's sing that as we sing. <laughs>